what a wonderful, wonderful day, day I will never forget. After I wandered in darkness away, Jesus my Savior I met. Oh, what a tender, compassionate friend, he met the need of my heart. Shadow dispelling with joy I am telling, he made all the darkness depart. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When at the cross the Savior made me whole, my sins were washed away and my night was turned to day. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Born of the Spirit with life from above, into God's family divine Justified fully through Calvary's love Oh, what a standing is mine And the transaction so quickly was made When as a sinner I came Took of the offer of grace he did proffer He saved me, oh, praise his dear name Heaven came down and glory filled my soul when at the cross the Savior made me whole, my sins were washed away and my night was turned to day. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Now of a hope that will surely endure after the passing of time, I have a future in heaven for sure. Sublime. And it's because of that wonderful day when at the cross I believed. Riches eternal with blessings supernal from his precious hand I received. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When at the cross the Savior made me whole. My sins were washed away turn today. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Wow, that took a lot out of me there. All right, well, I guess the message will have to be about 10 minutes shorter. <clears throat> I know some of you are shouting amen. I heard it. Yeah, I know how you are. <laughs> All, right. All right, soul purpose. That's our theme for this year, and we've been doing a series on our soul purpose, and we've been addressing and dealing with some issues. We're in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. We're going to kind of try to streamline the intro a little bit to get right into some things today, but... Uh, we're, we're going to start in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. And again, this is kind of where our theme is drawn from, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. There in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible reads, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the othermost part of the earth. Now again, in the passage, prior to even, we see that they were instructed to remain in Jerusalem while waiting for the Holy Spirit to descend. 
He assures them that the Lord does, that is, that they're not going to be, it won't be long before the Holy Spirit does indeed come down. The disciples ask about a coming kingdom. He says, listen, you don't need to worry about a coming kingdom. What you need to be concerned about is the fact that you're going to receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me. And so he reminds them of that, and he makes it clearly known to them. And again, you guys don't have to be concerned about that kingdom. What we need to focus on now is the fact that the Holy Spirit's going to fall, you're going to be filled, and you're going to go out and accomplish the purpose and plan that I have for you and the church. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, the Bible says, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So the Lord ascends back to heaven and he leaves the disciples with a promise and a command. The promise, you're going to receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And the command, ye shall be witnesses unto me. You're going to go out with a message and a witness and a testimony of me. Not your own, not something you'll you'll, you'll make up on your own or come to on your own. It is literally your testimony of me, who I am, what I'm about, and what I've done and accomplished on behalf of the people. That I died, that I was buried, that I rose again, that I am Messiah, that I am the one who was promised. You're going to be witnesses unto me, and you're going to go and seek and to save that which is lost. So he leaves them with a sole purpose to make reaching the lost their greatest endeavor in life. And although our theme is derived in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, we noted that that's not where it all began, though. So we went back to the beginning. We went back to Genesis, chapter 1. And we noted that when God's perfect work was marred by sin as a result of Adam and Eve's rebellion, his Sabbath rest was interrupted, was broken. As soon as man fell, it was necessary for God to begin working again, if you will. Not, not to, to build another material world or anything like that, but in this case, it was for the purpose of restoring and redeeming fallen man. So he provides a sacrifice and shedding of blood in order to cover man's sin until the perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ, would come. We note that even as Adam and Eve are removed from the garden, that they leave with coats of skin on. Obviously, a sacrifice had been made. Obviously, blood must have been shed. God had already equipped and prepared man to be restored back into fellowship with him through the blood. We see this sole purpose taking place and being accomplished. And so from there, we continued to see God at work. We saw in Cain and Abel, God at work. We saw Noah, his family, in a world that had gone well downhill quickly. We've seen God at work. We saw Abraham and Isaac. As Abraham takes his son up there onto that mountain, he asks an interesting question, Isaac does. Okay, we've got everything we need, Dad, for the sacrifice except the sacrifice itself. We've got everything we need except the very thing to be sacrificed. And in Genesis 22, 8, the Bible says, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they both, so both of them, so went both of them together. I believe when Abraham said that God will provide himself a lamb, I'm convinced that that was prophetical. 
That that lamb was none other than Jesus Christ who would ultimately offer himself by dying on the cross and shedding his perfect, precious blood on behalf of you and I. And at every turn, we found God at work seeking to redeem, seeking to restore mankind back into fellowship with him. And today, I want to continue on the road to redemption. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to start by taking a look at the Passover lamb. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time that we have together in your house. And we thank you, Lord, for just the choir singing and for the special music. And Lord, also for just the congregational songs that lift up your name. Lord, you're so worthy of our praise, and we thank you for the opportunity to do so. We ask that, Lord, today as we receive your word, that we would not only receive it through our ears, but, Lord, we'd take it into our heart. We'd hide it deep there. That, Lord, your Holy Spirit would drive it home. That, Lord, that the devil would show up, and he will, seeking to steal or snatch away the seed that's planted, Lord, that you'd put a hedge about us and protect us. Lord, may we leave here, Father, being different than we came. May we leave here with greater faith and resolve to live our lives on behalf of you, to honor and please you with our life and lips. Lord, we desperately need you, and we thank you, Father, for the fact that when man fell, your creation fell, you went into action. Lord, help us as a church to also do the same. We love you now. We desperately need you. And Lord, if there be those that are without Christ in our midst today, may they truly come to Jesus Christ before we leave this service. And for the believer, may we make up our minds to go back to work if we've ceased working. And if we are working, help us, Father, to take steps to, Father, even be more effective in our work for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we think about this Passover lamb as we move ahead in time. We join the Israelites who've been in Egypt for over 400 years now. And God has prepared a deliverer. That deliverer's name, of course, is Moses. He's a pretty popular character around Easter especially. Charleston Heston, you know him. But nonetheless, he is going to be used of God to ultimately deliver the people of God out of the hands of the Egyptians. He's going to have to carry out every single detail that God's plan. And even though he carried out all the details that God had given him, he had extended that, that rod of his over, the, over the, 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 the waters, although he had, had called down the lice and, and, and the locusts and all kind of different things that transpired and took place. Man, I mean to tell you, Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not crack, would not yield. Nine plagues are carried out. And now God tells Moses that the final plague would be the most devastating. That that particular plague would indeed compel Pharaoh to release the Israelites. That that particular plague would encompass not only Egypt, but it would also affect the Israelites. And that particular plague, of course, would be the death of the firstborn. The destroyer would come. Take your Bible, look at Exodus chapter 12. In order to escape, one had to obey specific commands. And those specific commands, by obeying them, it would, it would demonstrate their faith in God. It would confirm the need of sacrifice to escape judgment. Notice in Exodus chapter 12, verse 3, 
There we read, Speak ye unto the, all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for a lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it, according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out of the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. Look at verse 11. And thus shall ye eat it. With your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Here we have the first Passover. Every family was to set aside a lamb. Without spot, without blemish on the tenth day, and daddy was to go out and find that lamb and had to look him over real good and make sure there's no spot or blemish. There he brought that lamb in and they cared for it and met its needs for four days. And that evening on the 14th day, they were to slay the lamb. That wasn't enough, though. The job wasn't finished. Simply the blood being shed wouldn't get the job done. The truth is, is that the blood had to be applied. In the case of the Israelites, it was applied to the, the top and to the sides of the doors. I mean, their home had to literally be covered in blood, if you will, so that when the destroyer passed by, he would see the blood, and when he sold the blood, he would pass over them. The Bible says in Exodus 12, 13, And the blood shall be unto you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. When I see the blood, he says, I'll pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Man, what a powerful picture of redemption. God providing a means to escape death and destruction. This is a stop along the road to redemption and reminds us of God's sole purpose that God was seeking to restore mankind, that God, through the blood, would receive him back unto himself, that he would pass over them and would not cast upon them the condemnation of sin. We think of that song we just sang. Man, I mean to tell you that when you and I come to the Lord Jesus Christ, our sin is washed away. It is not only covered, but it's washed away. It's, it's buried in the depths of the sea. It's as far as the east is from the west. So far, the Bible says, he hath removed our transgressions. 
I know that I don't always live right, and I know I don't always act right, and I know that I can always be better than I really am, but I'll be honest with you. I know one thing according to the Bible. My sin is washed away. It's gone. Man, when I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ one day at the judgment, he's not going to come to me and say, what about that sin? And what about that sin? And what about that sin? And what about that sin? No, there's no sin to be dealt with in that day. If I'm going to deal with sin, I better deal with it now. Because now it affects my life and my, 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 my image, so to speak. I'm to, be in the, 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 I'm to be in the likeness of Jesus Christ, conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. I should look and act like Jesus. I should talk like Jesus. And so should you as a believer in Christ. Oh boy, that makes a difference in the world in which we live. Light in the midst of darkness. But my friend, let me tell you, your sin is washed away. And so is mine. And when he comes along and the judgment falls, I'll tell you what, he'll pass over me. And he'll pass over you if you know Christ as your Savior. In order to commemorate Israel's deliverance, God commanded the celebration of what well, became known as the Passover. And each year this Passover feast reminds the Israelite how God supernaturally delivered them by blood from the destroyer. And this plague would show everyone the need of sacrifice and of the shedding of blood in order to escape the wrath of God. But there are still plenty of stops on the road to redemption as we view God fulfilling his sole purpose, we turn to the tabernacle. You know, it's not long after being delivered from Egypt that God would have Moses construct a temple. Should I say a tabernacle? That tabernacle consisted of three major divisions. There was the courtyard, the outer court, There was the holy place. They'd go from the outer court to a lava there. They'd cleanse themselves. They'd walk on in through one veil into the holy place. The table of shoe bread was there. The altar of incense was there. There, the priest would often take care of business there in the holy place. But then there was the holy of holies. And within the second veil was the Ark of the Covenant upon which the Lord resided. That tabernacle... Exodus 25, 8 and 9 says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I shew thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. Moses, I want you to build a tabernacle and you're going to have to do it exactly like I tell you to do it because I want you to make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among the people. Again, the tabernacle represented the way to God through sacrifice. Because you couldn't get into that holy of holies without sacrifice, without the shedding of blood. You couldn't enter into the presence of God without the blood. There on that mercy seat, between those two cherubims, God resided. You know, sin always brings separation. 
When Adam and Eve sinned, it resulted in them being removed from the garden and out of the presence of God. Fortunately, as we noted before in some of our messages, God ceased his rest and began his work of redemption and restoration. A sacrifice in blood, as we noted, was required, and it provided mankind access to God again. The temple is a perfect picture of God, providing mankind access to him through blood sacrifice. An entire system of sacrifice was instituted in order to provide for and to maintain access to God. Oxen or cattle, sheep, goats, even doves and young pigeons were included. So if you didn't have enough money to buy an oxen or a sheep or a goat, you could, well, get a dove or possibly a pigeon. But God wanted to make sure that you could address and deal with your sin. The only way to do that is through the blood. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, turn there, would you please? Hebrews chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. God delivers the Israelites out of the hand of the Egyptians, and now he's having them build a tabernacle where they can now worship him, where they can meet with him, where he can reside amongst them. But there are clear instructions. There is no access to God without blood. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. It's the holy place. But unto the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. See, God resided behind that second curtain. The high priest had to approach God through sacrifice and blood. Notice verse 11 through 12. But Christ, being come an high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And he goes on in verse 24 to say, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. You say, what do you mean? What's this teach us? Well, first of all, the tabernacle was a pattern. It was patterned after a heavenly one. Literally, there's a temple or tabernacle in heaven, and God said, we're going to pattern after that one. You, you're going to follow my instructions. You're going to follow my blueprint perfectly because this one on earth is only a picture of that which is already there in heaven. And the way to God is through the blood. While there in the Old Testament, there may have been lambs and bullocks and pigeons and Goats and all of that taking place, but blood had to be shed to access God. He's saying, listen, it's not going to be enough in the end because that's only a temporary fix. My friend, I want an eternal fix, and that's Jesus Christ and his precious, perfect blood being offered on the mercy seat in heaven. The road to redemption is becoming clearer than ever now, especially as we look back in hindsight. God's sole purpose is revealing itself in so many ways in the Old Testament. Now we come to the Day of Atonement or the scapegoat. The Day of Atonement was the most solemn holy day of all the Israelite feasts and festivals. The high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies once a year 
and would apply the blood to the mercy seat in an attempt to make atonement on behalf of Israel before God. So solemn was that day that God told Moses to warn Aaron, the priest. Remember his brother, Aaron? He said, don't come into the most holy place just when you feel like it. You go on the day appointed, lest you die. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 2. Turn there, would you please? Chapter 16, Leviticus chapter 16, verse 2. There in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 2, we read, And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. It's interesting there on that day of atonement, Before entering the tabernacle, Aaron was to bathe. He was to be cleaned up. He was to put on special garments. Notice verse 4. And he shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with the linen miter shall he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water, and so put them on. And he had to clean up before he was going to meet with God. I wonder today, how clean should you and I be when approaching God? I mean, we're going to digress slightly, but we move into the New Testament. Friend, we don't need to to, to take any special preparation. We don't have to go out and, and murder or kill a lamb. We don't have to shed any blood because the shed's already been blood. We have access to the Lord Jesus Christ every day, all the time. And yet the question is, as critical as it was for the priest. I'm talking about the high priest of Israel to be clean before he entered into the Holy of Holies, before he entered into the presence of God. How clean should you and I be? How serious should we take this entering into the presence of God? And yet I do believe sometimes in my own life and probably maybe in yours, we take for granted that privilege. We think we can just go to God anytime. We needn't have to clean up. We don't have to put on any special garments, so to speak. We don't have to make sure that our mind is pure and clean. We go to God thinking somehow he owes us answers to prayer. He owes us his presence. Oh, it's been bought and paid for and we have access to God. Yes, indeed. But boy, we ought to realize how critical it is that we enter his presence clean. And then the high priest would sacrifice a bull for, the, for, for a sin offering. A sin offering for himself and a sin offering for his family. Look at verse 6. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. Notice verse 11. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. So now he makes sure that he deals with himself first. Before he addresses and deals with Israel, 
Like, like Isaiah, he says, woe is me. I got to deal with me and my sin and my house first before I deal with this house. It's funny, isn't it, how so many times you and I like to deal with everybody else's house? You, you know how it is. Man, I can see your sin a mile away. Man, I can't believe brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. Look at those people. Man, they're living in sin. Look at that. Man, I can't believe how, how, how they just disregard God's word. Look at what they're doing right now and how they talk and what they, how they think. Man, they got it all mixed up. And that's not the direction we ought to be looking to start with. That doesn't sound much like the heart of the person who's really looking inward. It starts first saying, man, I better clean this whole thing up. And I got a household to deal with. I got to make sure the kids are in line, the wife is in line, that we are all in line in this house, that we're all heading in the same direction, fulfilling the same purpose, seeking the same goal, wanting to please and glorify the master here. That our hearts are clean and pure in our home. And then we're able now to turn our attention to the household of faith. Then two goats were taken as a sin offering. He's made the sacrifice on behalf of himself, on behalf of himself and his family, but now there's two goats involved here. Leviticus 16.5, go back there and look what it says. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Again, notice the priest brought the animals before the Lord and he cast, and, and here's what's going to happen if you'd read through the passage. He's going to cast lots between the two goats. Basically, he's, he's going to basically say, okay, if I, if I, I roll so to speak, a, a red, then it falls on you, buddy. If I, if I do a white one, it falls on you. He's going to cast lots to see which one's going to die and which one's going to live. Now, now what? That's what he's doing. So he brings those animals before the Lord. He casts lots between the two goats. And again, the one's going to be a sacrifice. The other's going to be the scapegoat. Now the first goat slaughtered for the sins of the people. Its blood is then used to cleanse the holy place, that, that holy of holies, and the, the tent of meeting, and, and it's to clean up that whole thing. It's preparing and ready. It's going to wash away. It's going to cover sin. Leviticus 16, 15 and 16, notice what it says. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that, it is, that is for the people and bring his blood. He's already sacrificed now for himself and his family. Now he's going to sacrifice on behalf of the people. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, verse 15, and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkled upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions in all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. <laughs> so here he is now, a, a sacrifice being made on behalf of the people. As we said, we understand that things are different in that Old Testament. 
That blood that's being shed now is a picture of blood that's going to be shed one day. Man, that blood that's being shed that's going to cover the sins temporarily for one more year, the people of Israel, the the Jewish people in that day. Man, I'm telling you what, when Jesus Christ came and shed his precious perfect blood, it was a once for all sacrifice. After cleansing the cleaning, the live goat's brought to the high priest now. He's already sprinkled that blood on the mercy seat. He's already made atonement, so to speak, for the people through a sacrifice, through blood. But now they bring that old scapegoat to him. He takes his hands and he puts it over the head of that goat. He begins to confess all the sins of Israel. Every sin he can possibly think of, he confesses it. In Leviticus 16, 21, notice what it says. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall, watch this, send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness, and the goat shall bear upon him all the iniquities under the land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. (laughs) Oh, man. You talk about God trying to provide us an image, a picture. Not only do we have precious blood, so to speak, being shed here, not only do we have the sacrifice being Pointed to on the road to redemption. But now we have a scapegoat. You say, what's that all about? Well, that goat carried upon itself all the sins of the people which were forgiven for another year. Because see, in Leviticus 16.30, it says, For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you that ye may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. Now, it's interesting when we look at this that Christ is the complete atonement for our sins. In many ways, he embodies every single aspect of the day of atonement. For instance, we're told that he's our great high priest. In the book of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. So we see Christ being pictured in the high priest, a great high priest. But not only that, but he's also the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world as a sacrifice for our sins. In Revelation 13, 8, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of the, of, of the life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. He finally fulfilled his purpose and coming and dying and taking his place on Calvary. The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, as John the Baptist would say. Not only that, but he's our scapegoat. Remember, the scapegoat, upon that scapegoat's head was poured upon him all the sins of Israel. He was then led out, outside the city, into the wilderness, and let go. Jesus is our scapegoat. 
In 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Bible says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Our sins were laid upon Christ. He bore our sins just as the scapegoat bore our sins, the sins of the Israelites. Jesus Christ bore our sins. In Isaiah 53.6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Those sins were laid upon that scapegoat, and as a result, that scapegoat was considered unclean and had to be driven into the wilderness. That goat was cast out of the city, and can I tell you that Jesus was crucified outside the city? The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. In verse 12, therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sins, sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus embodied that scapegoat. And he embodied what it represented, the removal of sin from the perpetrator, you and I. Not only was that blood shed that day, but then he also was cast out. He was rejected of his own. Boy, he is the scapegoat. He's also the sacrificial lamb, and he's the high priest. He is all in all. Just a few stops on the road to redemption. See, again, these accounts were all a foreshadow of what was to come. I mean, the Passover lamb, the tabernacle, and the day of atonement with the scapegoat, they were all just another stop on the road to redemption and the fulfillment of God's soul purpose. In each case, there's a need for what? Sacrifice and the shedding of blood. Sacrifice and the shedding of blood. Sacrifice and the shedding of blood. Every single time you turned around, somebody's taken a goat, a lamb, a bullock, a pigeon, a dove to the temple. Here we go again. Another sacrifice. Here we go again. More blood being shed. Here we go again being reminded of how sinful and wicked we are. Today, however, there's no altar in which we sacrifice animals to be reminded of our sin and its sinfulness. We have to go back to a cross. But it's easy to forget about that cross when we get busy in our life. Not again, another sacrifice? Oh, man, I just, oh, it's so gruesome. It's so horrible. Reminds us every day that we're sinners, that we need the blood. Not today, though. It's been 2,000 years since blood was shed for us. And sometimes it's easy to forget that blood and the price 
and the payment that was paid for it. It's easy to go through our lives living them the way we choose, not remembering who and what we are without him. And although my sin is washed away, I still bear the remnant of this old flesh that keeps reminding me how sinful I am and how I have to bring it into subjection and die to self daily as Paul the Apostle did. There's only one way to escape God's wrath and to be restored back into fellowship with him. And that's God's way. That's Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none under name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no wiggle room there. Don't be calling him what you want to call him. Don't somehow believe that, well, I don't necessarily, I don't call a creator God or Jesus Christ. I call him, my friend, you are as lost as lost can be. Neither is there salvation in any other. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I don't care what his nationality is. I don't care what his color is or race is. I don't care what he wants to call himself, what his name is, how much money he has. I don't care what his position is. If he wants salvation, he wants free from the condemnation of sin, the penalty of sin, he must come to me. That's it. No wiggle room at all. But you don't understand. They were raised to believe differently. It doesn't matter. That's why we are to go with a sole purpose. Because if we don't tell them the truth, they'll die in the lie. I wonder today, do you know for sure heaven's your home? Has there been a time, a place? Have, have you invited Christ into your life? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Has there been a time when you recognized yourself as the sinner that you are deserving to go to hell like all sinners do? And said, Lord Jesus, you shed your perfect, precious blood for me. You died in my stead. You took my place. And I receive and accept you as my Savior. If you've never done that, you need to come to him today. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You're a child of God today. Do you know this business of soul winning was conceived in the mind of God as we're seeing here? It was his passion, his heartbeat. He had such a burden for his creation that he came in the person of Jesus Christ to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, you got to be pretty close to God in order to hear his heartbeat. 
If you and I would challenge ourselves to be as close to God as we possibly can, I believe we'd be well on our way to possessing the mind of God. And his great passion for souls would be our great passion too. Because see, the closer we get to God, the easier it is to go to men and to women and boys and girls. So we see God at work. We see the many stops along the road to redemption. Cain and Abel, Noah, Abraham and Isaac, the Passover lamb, the tabernacle, the day of atonement, along with the scapegoat. We see God at work on the road to redemption. And he is fulfilling his purpose. His purpose to redeem and restore mankind. Are you saved today? Do you know him today as your savior? And if you're a child of God, are you close enough to hear his heartbeat? Father, we come to you. We ask that, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts today. Holy Spirit, move in our midst. May no one break or disturb your movement now. Lord, you're here with us now. Today, there may be someone in our midst that has yet to trust and receive Christ that does not have that confidence. Lord, today is the day they need to trust you, to receive you. You died in their place. You became their substitute. You're their scapegoat. Lord, you are their sacrificial lamb. But they must apply it. Even as the Israelites had to apply the blood to the doorpost and lentil, we have to apply the blood in our life. And that's applied when we receive and accept you as Savior and Lord. Today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I wonder if somebody would say, Preacher, that's me. I need to trust Christ today. I honestly have not settled my salvation, and I want it nailed down. I want to know for sure. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you say, Preacher, that's me. Pray for me. I need it settled. Pray for me. Would you raise your hand? Let me see it. Pray for me, Preacher. I see it. Put it down. Anybody else? Anybody else? I see it. Put it down. Anybody else? Come on now. Holy Spirit's working. He's moving. Anybody else? Pray for me, Preacher. Pray for me, preacher. I need to settle this. I need to settle this. Father, there were a few hands that were raised today, and Lord, on behalf of those, I come to you asking that, Lord, you would be real to them, that you'd speak to them. Holy Spirit, compel them to make a decision. Speak to them and let them know that, Father, their sin can be washed away, that they don't have to bear the guilt or the shame that, Lord, you died in their stead to pay for their sin completely, 100%, if they'll just simply trust and receive you today as Savior. You raised your hand. You don't know for sure heaven's your home. The Lord's speaking to you. Won't you simply step out in just a moment? We're all standing. Let's all stand to our feet. Everyone's standing. Everyone's head bowed, every eye closed yet. Won't you come today? Simply step out and let's, a man show you from the Bible just a couple simple promises. You already know you need Christ. It won't take long. It's simple. Won't you come today? Will you do that? Even now, just simply slip out. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. Just be concerned that the Lord 
wants you to deal with this and say, I want to obey the Lord. I'm just going to do what God's telling me now to settle it. I'm just going to get it nailed down and get it over with. I want to know without a doubt I'm on my way to heaven and the promises are in the word of God. We'll show you that and you can trust him. Won't you come? Won't you come? You're a child of God. Folks have already been to an altar. Maybe you need to come today. Are you close enough to him to hear his heartbeat? If not, maybe there's some things we need to move out of the way so we can get closer. Confess those, forsake them, and then let God use you. Father, thank you now for this time together. As the music plays, Lord, help folk to make decision on your behalf. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed, the music's playing. Won't you come?